Well, turn over to Acts 13 with me this morning. We're going to begin looking at Paul's missionary journeys and uh, going to the, taking the gospel to the whole world. And uh, if you can kind of look at Acts 1 through 12 as Peter's missionary journey, uh, even though he didn't go traveling as much as Paul is going to go. But Acts 1 through 12 was all about Peter and his, his, his ministry. And now 13 to, to the end will be about Paul's ministry and then Romans. And uh, Dan's talking about Romans. We're probably going to end up there so, shortly because I think every Christian needs to see the book of Romans because it's, it's definitely life-changing in how we look at things. We're going to talk about missions this morning. And I want to just share this with you real quick. Some of you may know, some of you may not know about how we do missions and things. And of course, we try to do Acts 1-8 where we go to Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, to the inner earth inner parts of the earth, other parts of the earth, and we try to do that all at one time, and that's not always an easy thing. We try to reach people here where we live, and you do that by inviting them to church, by telling them the gospel, and mainly by living the word out in real life in front of them. And then we try to take that on to the state, and we support the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. We have a nice big office down in Little Rock. We have many workers that work throughout the state doing different parts of this task that we have. We've had some of them here to preach for us. We've had others that will be here just in a few days. September 9th, we'll be having a church revitalization program that some of them will lead that, that in, uh, in that way. We have the next step up would be our North American Mission Board, and that takes care of North America. It takes care of the uh, United States, Mexico, Canada, deals with our continent, um, and uh, we, we give to that. And then also we have the IMB, which is the International Mission Board. Now, if you're on Facebook or you've read the Internet this week, if you have Baptist Press, they showed you that they introduced a brand new IMB president this week, and his name is David Platt. David, we have went through a lot of his Bible studies. He is a, one of, he's a, a young fellow. He's probably not much over 30, 33, 34, I think. And uh, he has a great ministry at the Church of Brook Hills in Alabama. And uh, I was just really surprised that he would be stepping away from that church. But, you know, God can take us places where we never dreamed. And God is using him. David has not only talked about doing missions, David has done missions. Um, I talked Wednesday night about something I read about David that um, he went on a track uh, over in uh, Europe. And for five days they walked and they, they didn't meet one Christian in five days. Every person they met was not a believer. And so uh, David really was burdened by that. He's been to China. He's been to India. Uh, he's just been in many, many places. He's, read, he's led Bible studies in China. But uh, the IMB said, we want a man that's not only going to talk about missions, but one that's going to do missions. And David has, has certainly done that. He's going to be a powerful leader for our Southern Baptist Convention in the International Mission Board. Now, how do we take part in that? What do we do? Every week when, you, when the basket passes by, when you give an envelope in Sunday school, a percentage of that is paid each month to what we call the cooperative program. The cooperative program, I think, is one of the best, best ideas ever come down the pipe, so to speak. And it's a Southern Baptist thing, but it's, it's a God thing. It's not just a Southern Baptist thing. But what the co cooperative program does is it pulls the, the monies from Kaiser First Baptist, Wilson First Baptist, everybody that participates, everybody that pays in the cooperative program for, throughout the country, throughout the state, throughout the world, uh, it all goes into one big pot, and that is paid out to missionaries so that we can have, I think I read this week that we have almost 5,000 missionaries 
in the fields telling people about the Word of God. And so I, I'm very excited about that. I, I'm thankful that you give. I'm thankful that our church tithes from that. You know, we ask you to tithe, and our church tithes from what you give, and so we can tell people about Jesus. So I ask you to pray for uh, David Platt, our new IMB director, but I also ask you to pray for our missionaries, and we partner with a missionary over in Africa, Tori and Brandon Warner and their family. They're related to Amy Smith, and they have been in Africa now for probably three years, and so we pray for them. We also partner with another couple, the Gentries, and they are in a place that I can't mention out loud uh, because they are in undercover, and that happens sometimes in, mission, in missions. Um, some have to go in as teachers or businessmen so that they can share the gospel. Um, and so I ask you to pray for them. But then also the other 4,400, 4,500 missionaries that are out there preaching the word and telling people about Jesus. And so it's good to be a part of that. Amen. It's good to be a part of that sharing the gospel. Another way that you can participate is you can go. There is, there is trips available all the time. They're not always inexpensive trips. They can be very expensive. But um, Brandon and Tori Warner have told us many times if we'd ever want to come over there, they could bring us to Africa and we could travel about um, and, and help them and share the gospel. And so there are ways you can go. Something we don't do that as much as we probably should as a church is to preach that God can call you as a missionary. Uh, he calls preachers, he calls music ministers, but he also calls people to the missions. And you hear a lot about that when you're at church camp and things. But as you get older, you may feel that call on your life to go and tell people about Jesus in these foreign countries. You may feel led to go to New York and tell people about Jesus. You may feel led to tell people about Lord in Kaiser, Arkansas. And that should, surely should be all of our job to do that, to, to tell and teach where we live. But some of these days, the Lord may get a hold of you and ask you to go to a place as a missionary, and we can certainly give you the, uh, the contacts, the information to do that if you feel that calling. Um, and so just kind of using all that to lead us into Paul's missionary journey. And here, why do we do all that? Because Paul set the example. It was a New Testament example, and uh, let's look at that together this morning. I'm going to back up before 13 and just get those la that last verse out of 12. And uh, then we'll begin from there. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, which is also uh, called Mark. And then we go right into 1, okay, right into 13, 1. Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. There was Barnabas. There was Simeon called Niger. There was Lucius of Cyrene. And there was a man who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Now, Real quick, look at those men. It makes me think of the disciples. The disciples were from all kind of backgrounds, all kind of businesses. We had fishermen, we had tax collectors, we had uh, all these different people from all different walks of life. And here we see right off the bat these men that are spurring on, that are, are pushing on the mission's effort, are from all walks of life. We have Barnabas, which we've met Barnabas before. Barnabas was a great encourager. He was a great man of the early church. We have Simeon, which many people believe that he was from Africa. He was a, uh, an African Jew, uh, and so they believe that he was from Africa. We have another man, Lucius of Cyrene. And then we get to Manon, and he's kind of an unusual character because if you look at this, it talks about who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch. Who was this? Herod, that was Herod Antipas. Now, Herod Antipas was the one that had John the Baptist beheaded. 
And here, this is a, many believe that he was a foster adopted brother of Herod the Antipas. And here, what a change in, in how God can change your life. You go from being a brother to a, a murderer, so to speak, to one telling people about Jesus. And so he took this man and he began to, he knew Jesus, he'd give Jesus his life, and he had surrendered to God. And here he is a part of this first mission team, the ones that will pray for these men and send them out. And I just think it's great to realize as we look at that, God picks people from all walks of life. And another thing, guys, that we all need to realize, when it comes to missions, when it comes to evangelism, God is colorblind. God is colorblind. He doesn't just pick one, one race or the other. He takes everyone that is willing to go and serve in this great, great thing called missions. Now, let's read again. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, and that's very important. You're going to see that every, a, a lot of times during this chapter. Guys, if you're going to go out and tell anybody about Jesus, I guarantee you need to go in the Holy Spirit. If you go in your own power, it's just not going to work. But you're going to see the Holy Spirit very involved in these men's lives. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. I thought this was very uh, appropriate for what we had done last Sunday night. We had a beautiful uh, ordination service for Brother Danny. And one of the, the, the most powerful part, I told him that the most powerful part for my ordination was when the men came by and laid their hands on my head and prayed for me or spoke words of encouragement in my ear. And it still just fills me up thinking about it because to that point, it was kind of like answering questions and all those kind of things and all the pomp and circumstance. But it got real real when people start putting their head on you, their hands on you and praying with you. And you know that you've been assigned a place, a, a specific place. And so I'm not sure that it was an ordination service. If you, if you really study about church history and things, ordination services and things didn't really come to much later. It was kind of a, uh, our time thing to do that. But here you see kind of the same, you kind of see the path, you kind of see the pattern where people are laying their hands on them and praying for them, sending them out for a purpose that have been called. And so we see what is going on here. Now, let me show you a map before we start next, because I'm going to start saying a bunch of uh, cities, and, and I can't pronounce them real good, so where I, when I mess up, I'm going to ask Steve to pronounce them. Uh, but here we go, and over here we got the starting point there on your right. On your far right, you see the big yellow dot, and this is the starting point for Paul's first missionary journey, and it begins there in Antioch. Now, you remember what we talked about Antioch last week? What, what happened in Antioch for the first time? We were called what? Anybody remember? Christians, all right, good job, all right. We were called Christians at Antioch for the first time. Now, they're going to slide down to Seleucia, right there under Antioch, and then they're going to take the red line and come across to Salamis on the Isle of Cyprus, and then they're going to go to Paphos. And, and we'll see that here when we talk about Paphos in a minute. And they encounter some, uh, a weird character there when we get to there. Then from there, we'll read a little bit later, they go up to Perga, and then they go on to the other Antioch, all right, and then we won't get to Iconium today or Derby, but Iconium is where they went in chapter 14. We'll talk about that next week. But we'll stop and look at this map again after we talk about some more cities in a minute. But that kind of gives you an idea. And I tell you what, as I'm reading this first part, Russell, just leave that map up there until I get to verse 6. All right, I'll tell you when to flip the screen here in just a minute. Let me read to you, and you look at the map. Then two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Now that's Barnabas and Paul, okay? Where, how are they being sent? By the Holy Spirit. Very important. Went down to Seleucia. You see that? Right below Antioch. They went down to Seleucia. 
and sailed from there to Cyprus. So they're going to get on a boat. They're going to get on a ship, and they're going to sail from there. They're going on a cruise, man. We all like going on a cruise. They're going, and this is going to be a way different cruise, but they're going to go north, uh, south to Seleucia, and they're going to sail across to Cyprus uh, to begin their journey. Um, when they arrived at Salamis, all right, that's right there at the top of Cyprus, and that's, the, uh, that's a big commerce city. It was the largest city, but it wasn't the capital city. They're going to go to the capital city here in a minute over at Paphos, but Salamis was a large commercial city. It had a lot, of, a lot of merchants coming in, a lot of ships coming and going, a lot of people from all over the world. You can see where this might be a really good place to go, all right, and tell people about Jesus. They proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Now you can flip the screen, Russell. Now we're going to be in verse 6, all right? You can pick us up there. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Isn't it amazing that a false prophet would have the name of Jesus, kind of like Antichrist, all right? One of these days, at the end of time, there's going to be an Antichrist. He's going to be everything uh, against Christ. And so here we have Bar-Jesus, or you can translate that to Joshua, or you can even translate the Son of God, or Son of Jesus. And so uh, there's a lot going on there. If you look up what Bar-Jesus means, uh, well, that was, that was the false prophet. Let me go on here. Who was attendant of the, of the pro-council, Saragus Paulus. Now, there's another man. These weird names. Hang with me and we'll learn them all. But he was of the, the, the pro-council. He was of the administration of this great city. He was one of the high up, you know, maybe a mayor, maybe a, uh, you know, somebody high up in the, the rank there. And, and he wanted to know about God. All right. He wanted to know about God. His name was Sergius Paulus. The pro-council, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Alimus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, okay? Now, they're calling him false prophet up in, the, up in 6, Bar-Jesus. Here's the same guy, but here they say, here's what his name means, Alimus. If you look that up, it means wise man. And it's kind of a, it's a play on words because he wasn't wise at all. Isn't it amazing that we can think we can have all kind of knowledge and we can be stupid, we can be foolish because we don't do it for the Lord? That's something to think about. But this man, people said he's a wise guy. He's a very wise man. But he really, he wasn't. He was foolish because he was doing things against God. He was a false prophet. For what that his name means, opposed him and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. There's that word. There's that term again. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And you got to be when you're going to talk to somebody like this. All right, look. Look straight at Elimus and said... You are a child of the devil. Hmm. He's kind of beating around the bush there, isn't he? No, he goes right at it in the Holy Spirit. He can see. And guys, listen to me. And that's really important. When you are close to God, when you are filled with the Spirit, you can see false from truth real quick. Real quick. You're going to see if someone's false or if they're true. You're going to see if they're preaching the truth or if they're preaching falsehoods. And so how close you are to God helps you see that. And here we see that. Here he was, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, close with God, had the Spirit full of him. He can see right through this guy, and he knows to call him out immediately. He knows that he's got to stop this before he can tell the pro-council about the Word of God. You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. Mercy. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. 
Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Boy, we want to scream that out sometimes today, don't we? Won't you stop perverting the ways of the Lord? Quit making this gospel about you. It's about Jesus. Why do we do what we do? To glorify God. May everything that we do glorify God. It's to lift him up. It's not to make me look like a better person. He will, if we will glorify God, he'll take care of us. He'll take care of us, guys. I, here's a question for you, and I, I'm, still, I'm still thinking about this answer. It, this, is a, this is something that just popped in my head this morning. Are we going to be in heaven because we changed our ways or because of what Jesus did for us? Are we going to be in heaven because we changed our ways or because of what Jesus did for us on the cross? Guys, we're going to be in heaven because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. I can change my ways. I can go from being a, a rude person to a very mild-mannered person to a good person. I can pat you on the back. I can say all the right things. But if I don't have the presence of God and the Holy Spirit in my life, I am lost. I am without the Lord. I am going to hell because I do not know Jesus as Savior. There's only one way. You can't get good enough. You know, we, we say, well, I want to change my life. I, I'm really straightening up my life. I'm, I'm a better me. I, I really love me now. You know, and I've said those words to people. You've got to learn to love yourself or you can love somebody else. But if you really think about it, we've got to learn to love God before we can love someone else. Because once we love him, it's going to change who we are. It's not about loving ourselves. If I love me, then if I start, start loving me too much, I'm going to be focused on me. Focus on Jesus. And then Jesus will change your life, and he'll give you a great life. You'll be excited about life. You'll be excited about who you are, because we are never at our best until we're with Jesus. Amen? We are never at our best until we're with Jesus. And we've all tried it without him. We all know how that turns out. We might do really well for a few days, and then we fall off a cliff. We might do really well for a few days, and we fall down and skin our face, because in me is nothing but, but sin. The only reason I don't sin is because the Holy Spirit and God lives in me. That's the only reason I don't sin. It's the only reason you don't sin. And so when we think about, i got to turn my life around, just go to Jesus. He'll turn your life around for you. And it's very important. We're getting into this worshiping me and make me feel good and me, 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 me. That's not anything different than what the world's teaching. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. That makes sense. Makes sense, don't it? That's good. And that, that puts it all back in his lap. And he's going to take care of us. Take, he's going to take care of us. I just, I just like that thought. Now, the hand of the Lord is against you. Verse 11. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Since you're keeping everybody in the dark, God's going to put you in the dark. Boy, that's pretty powerful. This mission trips off to a big bang, isn't it? He just walks up to a guy and says, you're, you're a child of the devil. You are leading people astray. Guys, listen to me. People that are leading people astray and leading people away from God, whew, that's not good. In those days, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I talk about you? Didn't I speak to you? Didn't I do great things in your name? Wasn't I just the greatest preacher ever? And the Lord's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because we're doing it for self-glory. We're doing it because of who we are so that we can be seen. And guys, I, I don't want to do that. 
I want to be seen. I, I want to be seen so I can glorify God, so I can lift God up. And he said, you're going to be, you're going to be blind. You're not going to be able to see for a while. And God just, God just moved. I don't think you had to ask if God's in the place after that, do you? You could feel the Holy Spirit moving in that place real quick. Let's read what happened then. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Isn't it amazing what we are without God? We're just, we're just, we're just wondering. We're just wondering. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. Now, here's a very important part of this. Let me finish that. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Did he believe because of the miracle that happened that this guy was blind? I don't think so. Read what, how it ended. He believed, for he was amazed about the teaching about the Lord. All that Paul had said up to that point got his attention. All that he talked about the cross and the nails, as, as uh, we sang about this morning, all those things led up, and he said, because of what Jesus has done for me, I believe. Guys, if you believe in Jesus for any other reason today, it's wrong. If you think you got saved for any other reason except through Jesus, it's wrong. And I'm not sitting there going, hey, what's that guy think? You think he knows all? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. It must be through Jesus. There's no other way. It's through the blood of Jesus. There's no other way. There's no other way. And so that was a, that was a remarkable moment there. Here we are in this little town, and we're in Pamphos. We're in the state capital, and God is moving. God is moving, and someone has been saved. This may be, this may have been Paul's first convert on his first missionary trip as pro-council. This may have been his first convert as he began his journey. Well, let's go on a little further. There's a lot, there's a lot here this morning. From Pamphos, now they're going to leave there, and I'll show you here in just a minute on the map. Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, why John Mark left, there's a lot of, there's a lot of debate about that. He might have got homesick. He might have not liked that Paul began to take over. Um, and that was just because God had, had put him there. But in the first scriptures, you'll see that Barnabas led Paul. And then we start to see that Paul is kind of leading here. And I believe John, Mark, and Barnabas were kind of related a little bit. And so maybe he didn't like what was going on there. Maybe he just, you know, maybe this was above him. He was a young man. Uh, there's a lot of reasons, but we really don't know exactly why John, Mark. We do know this. Whatever happened, it drove a wedge between him and Paul for a while. Because Paul later on is going to pick up a man named Timothy. You ever heard that book in the Bible? He's going to pick up a man named Timothy to go with him. And then later on, God, God kind of convicts Paul and says, Paul, you've got to get things straight with John Mark. And he gets things straight, and John Mark later goes and helps Timothy, I believe, if I got that right. But he will come back in the Scripture. Over in 2 Timothy, we see where John Mark came back and became part of this, this team again. But something happened that drove them two apart. And it kind of got in Paul's Paul didn't like it, all right? Paul was human, just like us, and something happened there. So at that point, when they got to Perga, John Mark went back to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went to Pisidia, Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Now let me go to the back, back to the map real quick. 
and see here what they did. Right down here at Pamphos now, down at the bottom of your, of your screen, that's where uh, uh, the proconsul was saved. Now they're going to move up to Perga, and then they went on to Antioch. Antioch is where we are now, all right? That top Antioch, way over there in the left-hand corner by Asia, and that's where they're at right now in the country of Pamphylia. Over there was Perga, and then on up to Antioch is where they're at right now. Now, let me go back to this scripture just a minute. It's, and I want us to see what's happening here. It's amazing that whenever they got into a town, the first place Paul wanted to go was a synagogue. And that's where his history was. That's where he grew up. That's, he knew those. Paul was a Jew of the Jews. He, he knew everything about being a Jew. He knew all about the law and all those things. And he knew where they were coming from. He knew how attached they were to the law. He knew how attached they were to those first five books of the Old Testament that we read now. And that's where their Bible was at the time. And they were attached to that. And, and, the, and that's okay to be attached to the Word of God. But they thought more of that, really, than they did the Word of God. Because what happened when Jesus came, and it was prophesied that Jesus was going to come, they didn't get it. So they were looking at the Word, but they couldn't see Jesus because they were so attached to, the, to, their, to their Bible. And isn't it amazing that we can, we can actually lift up the Bible more than we can lift up Jesus? He didn't give us this book so that we could memorize it and know about him. He gave us this book so we could learn to have a relationship with him. And that's why he gave us this book. And so this is, only, this is only an introduction to him, to get to know him, and then to live for him. To live for him. So, I, I love the, the line here in 15. After reading from the law, you see what they're reading? They're going to church and just reading the law. They're just keeping the laws. They're, they're just, I want to do that. The do's and don'ts. And guys, if we come to church and just trying to see if we didn't do, uh, if we did a, a lot of good things this week and not enough bad things, we're, 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 we're reading from the law. It's, it's way more than that. And, and you can just see Paul sitting there, you know, you know how it is when preachers are in the crowd, you know. We're just waiting for our shot, you know. And, and Paul is just sitting there. You can see him tapping his foot. They're reading this law, and he knows, the, he knows the good news. He knows that Jesus has changed all this. And he can't wait. And here, it's just like saying, uh, Brother Todd, have you got anything to say? Oh, no, not me. Yeah, let me get up there. You, know, I'm, you can see Paul getting out of his chair. As I said, has anybody got any words of encouragement? You can see Paul just starting to walk toward the stage. He is ready to tell them the truth of the good news. Isn't it great that men are bold for God like that? That they just love telling people about Jesus. I, I just love that. I love that. Well, let's go real quick. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hands and said, and I love that because he talked with his hands, and that makes me feel better because I talk with my hands a lot. But Paul motioned with his hands, and he begins to tell them their history. He wants to tell them about where they've come from. And guys, they're going to know this. They know this like the back of their hand. They know this. But he's got to get where they are before he can take them where he wants to take them. And remember that when you're witnessing to people. You, you know, what's the old saying, I, I want to walk a mile in your shoes? You've got to put yourself in their place and realize what they're facing and what they're going through. And then God's going to take you and move you and help, help you show them how to get from A to B so he can take them to C, which is salvation. He's going to do that in your life. He'll help you with that. Fellow Israelites and Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during the stay in Egypt. 
With mighty power, he led them out of the country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. He takes them from the law to wandering in the wilderness, all those things. And he said that took about 450 years. And then he goes on. I'm going to skip over this. Then he took them all through. You wanted, you know, I give them a time of judges. If you'll read back in the book of Judges, that was a time of judges over the people. Then the people, they scream for a king. You remember that? Everybody else has got a king. We want a king. Oh, God, we want a king. Give your people a king. He said, you don't need a king. I'm your king. Oh, we want a king. Everybody else, all these other countries have a king. And so he gave them Saul. And Saul was not a good ruler. But then along come David. And that's where he wanted to get him to. You read this when you get home. He got him to David because they knew, they knew this fact, that the seed of the Messiah was going to come from David. And so when he led him to David, he knew that he had their attention. And then he's going to take him to Jesus. He's going to show him Jesus. So he comes on down, comes on down, and then we're going to go to about 32, all right? Well, go to 26. Can you find 26 right there? There you go. After he told him all this history, then he wants to tell them how it affects them. And guys, we can read history books, and we can go through history and all those things, but if we don't apply it to our life, and it's sad how history repeats itself over and over and over, and it seems like we do the same dumb things over and over. Why do we do that? I don't know. But he, he gets them to the point, he said, now, now, fellow Jews and Gentiles, I want to tell you how this affects you. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. Why, why all this history? Why is the Old Testament important? Why is all that reading that and bringing us up? Because that's where salvation came. It came through Jesus. And he tells them that. Skip on down. We tell you the good news, what God promised. Verse 32, our ancestors. He has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus. As is written in the second Psalm, you are my son today, I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so he will never be subject to decay, as God has said. I will give you the holy and sure blessing promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. He quotes from Psalms. He takes them to Psalms. Bear with me, guys. He takes them to Psalms. And he said, you guys have read this, you believe this, you know this, you quote this, and the one you've been looking for has been born. As a matter of fact, you've nailed him to a cross. But because of the prophecy that said his body would not see decay, on the third day, he came out of the grave. He came back to life because God brought him back to life, and he was the Messiah. And he's alive. He's alive. And man, it turned that place upside down. This minds you a lot of Peter's sermon, didn't it? Right after, right after Pentecost, he's preaching the same message. You know what? 2,000 years later, we're preaching the same message. It's about Jesus crucified. It's about Jesus dying for our sins. It's about him rising again. It's about him offering eternal life to everyone that will believe. And that will never change. That good news is always good news. And it will never change. It will never change. Man. Now, when David had served God's purpose, verse 36, in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. 
You thought so much about David. You've read about David. But I want you to know that psalm was not about David. That was a messianic psalm. That was a psalm that talked about God. It talked about Jesus. It talked about what would happen. David is dead. He is in the grave and his old earthly body is rotting. But the one that this verse is talking about is a son of God and he is alive. And he did not perish and he did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Guys, that is huge. We could keep the Ten Commandments from now until Jesus comes back. He said the laws that you're keeping... The do's and don'ts you're trying to do to find and earn your way into heaven, they cannot find you redemption. Only the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Look at this quote right here. God not only forgives our sins, but he also gives us the very righteousness of Christ and puts it on our account. Man, we was talking about that this morning. We had, we had shouting time back here in the office. Think about this a minute, guys. Hang with me just a few more minutes. Think about this. Not only have we been forgiven. Guys, what happens if I get forgiven over here? What happens tomorrow? I got to get forgiven again. I got to get forgiven again. I got to get forgiven again because I'm a sinner. I got sin in me. That will always be here until I go to heaven. But when Jesus not only forgives us and washes us up, when I wash up my little girls, when Dana gives them a bath, you know what we got to do the next day? We got to give them another bath. We got to give them another bath. So I'm not going to stay clean, but here's how I stay clean. Here's how we stay clean, guys, and it goes back to Jesus Christ. Not only has he forgave our sins, but God has put Jesus Christ on our account. And every time he looks at us, he sees Jesus. And every time he looks at us, he sees the cross. And he sees the blood of Jesus. And we realize that it's not about me keeping this. It's about putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he saves me forever and completely and eternally. Amen. And it chokes me up because I can't stand it. It's good. It's good, guys. There's so many people trying to live the life, trying to do it on their own. This salvation is a real deal. He has put Christ on our account every time he looks at our account. And we think, man, I'm, my account is low. We look at our bank account. And we, and we think it's low. And I don't have enough money. Who's going to put that money back in there? Only I can do it. There's, I, I have, if you see anybody running up down the street giving money in the bank account, Michael, let me know. I'd like to have some of that, wouldn't you? But here, Jesus Christ has put money. He's put salvation into our account, and that account will never run dry. Isn't that wonderful? It will never run dry. As many times as I need forgiven. Now, understand, that doesn't mean we just live like the devil and he keeps, he does, he forgives us. Don't take advantage of that, but it's always there. It's always there. He's put that on our account. How he loves us. How he loves us. When, when Abby was little, she's about six, seven, my, my sister, Maria, gave her a doll. And this, this doll was, was her daughter's doll. And, and it was one of them real-life babies. It, it weighed a ton. 
And Abby's little, you know, and she's carrying it by the head. Now, you know, later on, the little ones come by and carry it. But that doll was ugly. It had been carried so many times that its head was just, its hair was all drawn back like this. And you could comb that doll's hair over and over and over. And it just, it, you couldn't make that doll look pretty. But she loved that doll. She loved that doll. And I mean, even we got the two next ones, you know, we, we got the, the next girls. They had, we got them tubs after tub after tub of baby dolls. Every time we go to the store, they want another baby doll. I hate baby dolls sometimes. We got them everywhere. But they would go through all them beautiful, shiny baby dolls, and they'd grab that old Roxy and go dragging her down the hall, even when Annie was little. That baby was so, it was way more than she did. They loved that baby doll. But you know what? I thought it was ugly. But I loved that baby doll because Abby loved that baby doll. I loved that baby doll through Abby. God loves us through Jesus. You see it? You see it? Isn't that good? God loves us through Jesus. I'm, I'm nothing to look at. I, my hair stands up and I'm ugly. When, it come, when he looks at me as a sinner, I'm ugly. But you know what? Because of the blood of Jesus, God loves me. He loves you through his son. Because Jesus loved us so much and died on the cross, he loves us, ugly hair and all, and he continues to love us. Now here's the remarkable, here's the rest of the story. Here about a year ago, Maria's daughter Lauren had her little girl. And she was about two now. And you know, I said, Abby, you know what would be a great thing? To take Roxy and give her back to Lauren so she could give her to Charlie. And Charlie's took up with that baby. That's what's so great about when we realize how much Jesus Christ loves us and through us. We want to take and share that with someone else because it's given us such great joy. Now, they cried. They didn't really want to give it her up. But they knew that the reward of that baby having that doll was greater than them keeping the doll. Guys, we realize that the reward of having Jesus is greater to tell others than to keep it all to ourselves because it can change somebody's life. And they will love more than they've ever experienced love in their life. And it will change their life. Isn't that amazing? That's how much he loved us. You're, Paul said you're looking for the law to justify you. It can't do it. It can't save you. Only the blood of Jesus Christ. And he loves you. He loves you just the way you are this morning. There's so many people that think God could never love me. Brother Todd, you don't know what I've done. It don't matter. He died for it on that cross. He crucified it on that cross. And you just give that to God and let him crucify that to, for you. And it's all over. And you can be a child of God. He took the foster brother of the Herod Antipas and made him a missionary. He took a killer of Christians by the name of Saul and gave him a new name named Paul. You know, we started calling him Paul this morning and sent him around the world to spread the good news of the gospel so that me and you, 2,000 years later, could know about Jesus Christ. 
He can take anyone and change their life. Just realize that he don't love you for who you are. He loves you through Jesus. And that changes everything. That changes everything. And that's good. Because some days I'm not very lovable, Michael. But when Jesus sees, when God sees me, he sees Jesus, and that makes me lovable once again because he knows the preciousness of his son. And that's good stuff. And all God's people said, amen. Let's bow our head together. Dear Father, we just love you. We don't know why you love us so much, but your love is incredible. Your love is amazing. Your love, it just, it knocks us to our knees. Lord, help us to quit looking to ourselves for salvation. And Lord, even us that have been saved for years, we, there are times, God, when we get out of our, our, where we need to be and we start looking to ourselves, and we think about, I've failed and I've sinned and all these things, and we start looking to our, our deeds for our salvation. Lord, help us to realize afresh and anew, our salvation is through Jesus and not through ourselves. Lord, for someone here today that doesn't know you, May this be the day they said, I didn't think it was possible. It is possible. God loves me. Maybe there's someone here who just needs to rededicate their life. Maybe there's someone here who just wants to, right where they're at, pray and say, God, thank you for loving me the way you do. God, there is nobody ever loved me like you do. And Lord, I thank you. Lord, maybe there's someone here who wants to join our church today. Whatever, whatever you lay on their heart, Lord, I pray that they'll move. And let us just reflect on your love for the next few minutes. In your name we pray. Amen.